0: Good morning, Disciples Church and guests. If you're just visiting today, it's great to have you here with us. Um, we're now in February and um, just excited about what God has before us in this new year. Uh, as a church, we're approaching our 130th year of ministry here in Bakersfield and began 1889 and in this wonderful new campus and uh, just a wonderful time to be meeting new people and growing together, seeing what the gospel is doing to change lives. I pray that you're blessed and uh, just excited to dig into God's Word this morning. I'm always so privileged and honored, thrilled to get to preach the Word of God. It is a precious gift uh, to know Him and to grow in Him. And so will you grab your Bibles with me and turn to the letter of James. Uh, You'll see it there at the very end of your Bible, after Hebrews and before 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back of the room. We'd love for you to grab that. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd really love for you to make that yours. Nothing better I could put in your hands than the Word of God to have at home to study and grow with us. We have really enjoyed this sermon series through the letter of James. Very much value preaching through God's Word here, disciples verse by verse, and seeing Him transform us as we study His Word within its context. And uh, this letter of James is a special letter uh, it's only three pages long, as you'll notice in your normal-sized Bible, average size Bible, uh, and yet we're on our 30th sermon as we uh, prepare to conclude. Just a few more sermons left. Uh, today we'll be in chapter 5, verse 16, uh, in a sermon that I've titled, and this is a really creative title I came up with, Confessing Your Sins to One Another. Uh, so you'll see how far away that is uh, in just a moment. Uh, I'm going to be preaching part two of faith at work in prayer next week. Uh, If you were with us last week as we studied verse 13 through 15, uh, that was prayer and uh, faith at work part one. And I said, hey, we're going to look at 16 through 18 next week. And as I uh, just dug deeply into the word this week, I realized there is more than a full sermon in just these few words alone in the opening part of verse 16. So we're going to stop and do that. And then get back to uh, faith at work in prayer next week. Let's read today's verse uh, for our sermon and then dig in. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When we see the word therefore in scripture, it is a great reminder to slow down and say what is about to be read or said or proclaimed is connected to what was just said. Many times it's an application. I've said this, now therefore we do this or we go apply it in this way. So to help us, let's stop and do that uh, here and look back at verse 13 through 15. The sermon that I preached last week was on this text. Is anyone among you suffering? let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So. Many times misunderstood verse uh, when pulled out of context. And so, again, if you missed last week's sermon, I would encourage you to jump on our podcast online and maybe spend time this week in the Word with us by reviewing that uh, that sermon from last week. James is going to transition to some application now. And in doing that, he's going to look from some specific people who are suffering or or well, or needing to call for the elders in some specific instances, and now going to speak to the entire congregation of believers. Basically, saying believers should not wait until their sins have caused spiritual, emotional, or physical consequences, but to practice confession of sins to one another in a way is a way of being active in fighting sin. The most dangerous place one could be with their sin is alone. And we're going to get back to this very important point. But first I want to start by digging into what is confession uh, and what is sin. that We see these things rightly. Uh, they're, they're very important things that we see rightly. And then talk about why this is such a good practice of confessing sin within gospel community. First, what is confession? The word confession in the Greek in the original transcripts was a word that meant to agree together with. Another way to say it is confession is admitting we have sinned, it's acknowledging that I sinned. It's agreeing with God that this thing indeed is sin. This is sin, Lord. You call it sin, and I'm calling it sin. I'm confessing it out loud that I sinned. I'm agreeing with you. In other words, I'm not making excuses about it. I'm not calling it something that it's not. It's sin. Confession, realize, starts with us. The Holy Spirit in each believer brings into view a conviction to rightly see sin. Instead of pushing it off, we own it. Instead of excuse making or going into denial about it, we admit it to ourselves first. This is sin. Second, then we confess it to God. We admit and own our sin before the Holy God. He knows what it is, He's all knowing. But now you're agreeing with Him. This is sin. Then the Bible tells us here in places like James 5.16 that it's good practice to confess our sins to other believers that God puts in our lives. We're going to work up to this in our time together this morning and why that's good and important. Um, What it's not. We wouldn't turn it into something that it's not. Let me first say, when we confess our sin, we are identifying the things that are in us, or that we're thinking or doing, that rail against the glory of God. If God's glory is the number one purpose why we live, it's why we exist. If God's glory is why the church exists, then we will practice identifying and confessing sin. It is not something we will skip or make light of. We want his glory to reign. We want the truth of God to be on display. Because our sin is deceiving and our flesh wants to live in the shadows, it doesn't want to be accountable. We, we want to embrace lies instead of the truth. It's important that as bloodbought Christians, that we want to expose our sin to the light to be honest about what has happened in ourselves, before God, before others, to bring it into the light, to declare this is sin. 1 John 1.8 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This practice of having a right and honest view of our sin is a critical practice because anytime we're tempted... Or guilty of hiding our sin, or making excuses for our sin, or not honoring God with our life, or walking in God-honoring righteousness. This is why it said the truth is not in us. We're living a deception, a falsehood, church. We need to be regular in admitting our sin, first before the Lord. And so let me just pause there this morning and just ask you personally to consider, do you practice confession before God regularly? Or is even just the practice of admitting that sin is sin something that's not normal for you? Something that you don't do? It's surely a place where we must start to be willing to call sin, sin. Help us see the world rightly to see how we're betraying the glory of God. That we would turn from those things and then honor him is such an important first step. So we don't live in lies. We don't live in falsehood and in self-gratifying, sinful uh, priorities. Something I want to make sure you have in right view, church, is when you as a blood-bought, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christian, are confessing sin to God, you need to understand you are already forgiven. There are man-made practices uh, and traditions in churches where we think that somehow we've got to go to God and confess our sin in order for it to be paid for and there's this system that's been created. The Bible says, the gospel says, it is finished on the cross. Your sin, past, present, and future, if you belong to Jesus, if he has paid your ransom, your sin is forgiven. You don't have to perform or go to God to get him to forgive it. Jesus doesn't crawl back up on the cross in order for you to be forgiven. One of the greatest many deceptions I think a lot of modern day Christians miss is that they are forgiven. That you would know in your most inner self and being and soul, I am forgiven. It It is accomplished in Christ. I am victorious in him. This is a wonderfully powerful and potent motivation by which we go about our days. And we live out the gospel reality that we have as Christians. In Christ alone, God has forgiven your past, present, and future sins. You are forgiven fully in the blood of Jesus. But it is God's will as part of our sanctification, that's our ongoing maturity, and a part of our testimony that we practice confession. Because it is a practice of being honest with where we are still falling short or erring to sin or selfishness instead of God-honoring. It is a discipline to be aware of the reality that until we're in glory, we're still at war with our flesh. The temptations of the flesh are still constantly around. A battle that must be waged every day, and confession is an important part of it. If you are saved, understand, confession does not earn you forgiveness. You have it in Christ already. Confession of sin is how we make war with our sin in an ongoing way, to push it off and live lives that honor God. To see it rightly and then to turn from it. We'll come back to that. Before we go further into the practice of confession, though, I want to pause and I want to make sure we have a right view of sin According to the Word of Truth Catechism, question number 33, what is sin? The answer is sin is disobeying God. Sin is any disobedience in heart or deed to God's perfect law and commands. David has a good and round view of his sin in Psalm 51. And speaking of almost the different facets that our sin can play out in, he, he cries out in verse 1 and 2, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Transgressions, iniquity, and sin. Different ways to understand sin. Let's look at all three for a moment. First of all, transgressions. A transgression is crossing a forbidden boundary. You've transgressed. your. are It's our rebellious disregard for God's perfect law. It's a declaration of war against the sovereignty of God to declare what is right and wrong, what we should do and not do. We transgress those things. We cross that forbidden boundary. We must understand, church, that God's perfect and holy law and commands are our standard. We're not our own standard. The culture is not our standard. The law of God, the word of God... Not what we think or how we feel about a given situation is the standard by which we live. We must be vigilant to know and obey God's holy law in the power of Christ to do so. Let's look at the second word he uses here, iniquity. Iniquity is perversion. It's uh, the same word he uses in verse 5, just a few verses later, to describe his the sinfulness in his birth. Look at Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. What he's not speaking of is that somehow uh, the mother and father coming together for his birth, that that part of the conception was in sin. That's not what he's speaking of here. He's speaking of original sin. The seed of Adam that is in every man and woman born of flesh, since the fall of mankind. It's our sin nature. It's the perversion of our flesh, our fleshly nature that every person at conception is guilty of. Very critical understanding of sin, which is brought forth into view in the idea of iniquity. Uh, Sin, in just the plain word used, In the last part of the verse that David uses as a mini-outline for us this morning, sin is essentially falling short, missing the mark. But here's where we get this wrong, is often we think of, how am I doing in relationship to other people? And so then we can walk away going, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I feel like I'm doing okay. But the mark that we miss in sin is not how we stack up against others. It is the holy perfection of God. So we must see our sin rightly in light of the holy perfection of God. And if I have that view, then then in my sin, when I rightly see the majesty and the perfection of the holiness of God, then I don't just miss the bullseye on the target. I don't miss that way. Like I'm still close. I'm on the target. No, no, no. If I see my sin before the holiness of God, Then I'm not on the target, I'm down in the dirt. That's how much we miss the standard of the holiness of God. One of the very overlooked joys of being saved by God, of God's grace to save guilty, undeserving sinners by the perfect work of Jesus, is that in this salvation, in this new birth, He gives us eyes to see our sin. We're not dead in sin and blind to the reality of it. We now see it. We see its damage, its blasphemy, its betrayal against the standard of the Holy God. Confession is when we finally see our sin and we see it rightly. And we agree with God, this is sin. Let me add this. You will not confess sin that you do not truly count as sin before a holy God. For some, maybe this is why you don't practice confession a lot. Because you're guilty of your standard being other people. And you're like, I'm doing pretty good. But to slow down and really do business with how am I doing against the perfection of God's holiness is to then all of a sudden be utterly desperate for a Savior. For the only one who is perfect. To stand in your place and pay the price of what you deserve completely, fully by which we are forever transformed. Worship Him. Love Him honor and obey Him. The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, He that thinks lightly of sin thinks lightly of a Savior. I could tweak it to say, He who makes light of sin makes light of the need for a Savior. Some of you who have played light with what you would call religion, what I would call where you stand before the holy God in your life. You've not been so concerned about these things because you've not done business with who you are in light of who he is. And when you see this, the wonder of amazing grace is so captivating, you'll have nothing but it. You will surrender and submit your life to die to the lordship of your own life, to submit your life to Christ, to be His is the most wonderful gift ever given. And you are privileged to be His and submit yourself to Him, to walk in His ways and His statutes for His glory and no longer for your own, your own fleshly priorities. God's call on us. In this time and place, the reason why your days exist, the reason why you're sitting up right now and not done and dead is ultimately for his glory, the scriptures say. And for those of us who know Christ, it is largely so that we would be a testimony of the gospel to a watching world. A testimony of that Savior that those dead in sin are desperate for. This is why it is a danger and why we must not make light of sin to thereby then make light of that Savior. This is why it's a danger not to be regular in God's word and regular to inviting in other mature believers to know you and walk with you. It's only when we are fresh in God's Word, to constantly be reoriented in our thinking, not with horizontal, modern, man-made priorities and worldview and convictions, but God Himself given priorities and convictions and worldview according to His written Word. Our minds and our hearts then get to be reoriented to God so that then we can properly identify sin and make war with it, turn from it. This is why we also need to be in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal our transgressions. Told first hour, one of the great gifts early on in my ministry was to, to discover this simple little acronym for the word pray to help me have balance in my prayer life. And it's just the four letters of the word pray. To begin by praising him, the P stands for praise, to exalt him, and thank him, and adore him that our prayers would begin thinking and acknowledging, who am I talking to? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, to praise him. The R stands for repent. Repenting is turning from our sin, and we don't turn from our sin that we haven't identified as sin. So confession is always the first part of repentance. Are we, therefore, then confessing our sin to God in our prayer, asking him to show us our transgressions our iniquities so we can make war with them and turn from them? Church, this needs to be a regular part of our prayer life. Thanking him that we are forgiven. The A stands for ask. That we would boldly bring our request to God. That we would ask him what's on our minds and our hearts. Scripture says through and through to bring our request to him. So we do that. We trust it to him, which is where the Y comes in. The Y stands for yield. That we would yield it to him. Lord, your will be done, not mine. I would be foolish to tell you the almighty, omnipotent, all-present God, that my way is better than yours. No, Lord, here's my request, but ultimately I want your will to be done in this, not mine. That we'd praise Him, we would confess and repent. We would ask and we would yield. P-R-A-Y. Are we praying? Are we confessing in our prayer life? Are we walking with others in a real authentic community where other Christians are invited in to love us enough to admonish us. You love me when you help me see my sin. When my kids are in sin, I don't love them by turning away and just going, oh, I'll figure it out. I love them. I say, no, stop. That will burn you. That will get you addicted. That, that will hurt. I love them to point that out. We love each other to admonish one another. This confess your sins to one another is one of the many one another's we see in Scripture. It's this beautiful lifestyle of the church to get to practice these things. Inviting other people in to admonish us, to show us what we're not seeing is one of the great gifts of being in the body of Christ. My heart beats that sin would not be hidden In my life, it would not be excused or lied about. It would be unveiled. It would be revealed so I could make war with it and honor God instead. Jesus told a parable about identifying sin. In Luke chapter 18, in the first couple verses of the parable, he says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give all, I give tithes of all that I get. Do you see what he's doing? He's comparing himself to others and feels like he's doing pretty good. Look at the opposite, verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He he couldn't even lift his eyes because he saw rightly who he was in comparison to the holiness of God. And he was humbled and honest in his confession of his sin. Confession is more than simply calling out sin. It's seeing the depth of the betrayal of the sin in light of the beauty and the majesty and the holiness of God. This leads us to the second facet of what confession is. Confession is making war with sin by bringing it into the light. It's hard to fight something that's in the dark, something that you've not even identified as an enemy. 1 John, the first letter of John, chapter 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... See, sin wants to stay in the shadows so it can continue to do its shifty, self-serving work. It doesn't want to be exposed. So declaring it as sin before God is a critical first step. But we also need to expose it. And this is where confessing to one another comes into play. James 5.16, therefore, confess your sins to one another. We've talked about what is confession, talked about what is sin, and now let's put it together and see why this is good to do this with one another. See, church, God didn't save you to fight your sin alone. That's what you've been living in your sin since the fall, since the separation, since your birth. It's only in new birth in Christ are we reconciled into God's family, empowered with the Holy Spirit, counseled by the word of God, given a longing to honor God now, by which I can truly make war with the things that my flesh once just bathed in? To fight daily temptations. Instead of doing that alone, God has given us a plurality of a, a body of Christ, the brothers and sisters that we have in Christ to love us and walk with us. Oh how terrible it is when Christians keep their sin private or at a distance from others when you think I'll just be better to fight this one on my own. Now again this is for the person who's already identified that it's sin. There's there's a level of confession they've done to see it is sin but now I'm not going to confess it to others. I'm just now going to attempt to do it on my own and that's not the call of Scripture. The call is to to bring in that army that God's put around you, shepherds that He's put over you to lead you and to guide you in truth. When we put off all the loving commands of Scripture to practice the one another's and truly live in gospel community is when we begin to fill and fill out and live out what James gives us here. The opposite is true. How wonderful it is when Christians confess their sins to one another in the body whom God has given, and then there's fruit, and there's healing, and there's accountability as we seek the word together, and pray together, and admonish each other, and walk together. Can I say, we need to do this earlier than later. When you see the temptation coming, when the knock on the door is happening, when the thought is starting to stumble around in your head, maybe this person would engage me in this extramarital thing. Maybe I, I think I see a way by which I could sift from the till at work and give myself that much-earned extra dollar. Maybe I, and we, we flirt with, we start to think about and engage. Can I just say, this is the time to confess sin. Not I'm eight months into a headlong adulterous relationship. Not, I've scammed $5,000 from my employer. Can I also say, if that's where you're at, that's also the time to confess sin to one another. I've sat with people who are 10 years into something, and one of the realities we have to see is, praise God, you're doing this now, and not 10 years later. Truly, people will come and confess, like, this has been my fight for years. And there's always that thought of what would this have been like if I would have attacked this back here. So hear it now. As things are knocking on your door, as those thoughts are rumbling around your head, as, as the, f- the longings of your flesh in opposition to the power of the Spirit is at work, that, you would, that would be the time to say, it's knocking, it's luring, I'm considering, love me enough to help me make war with this, to help me hold it accountable. Now's the time. Let's drag it into the light. We must say to each other and to the Lord, the temptation is strong. The lure to sin is taking hold. Help me fight. Help me be reoriented to the gospel, to the word of God, to the truths of God. One of the great evidences of our faith at work ongoingly, as James is pointing out again and again in this letter, is that you practice confession of sin to one another. You are at war with your sin in this way. You're not above this practice. You you use this practice. But the fleshly temptation is, no, I'm just going to put on a mask. going to see if I can do it on my own. I'm going to put on a mask. Hopefully I'm going to make it through. And so we start to lie to each other. We start to get in under our own pursuits and journeys we start to not live authentically with each other and this is where the opposite of confess your sins to one another comes in the the press that Paul makes in Colossians 3 9 where he says do not lie to one another it's another of the great one another's don't lie to each other don't put on masks and tell lies be honest this is where I'm at this is where I'm struggling. Invite people in the, 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 the sin is, is, is tempting me to go here or go there or do this or say that. But why do we often choose the lie? Why do we often choose the mask and choose to go at it on our own? Idolatry? Because I really have fallen in love with this thing and I, I don't know if I could go without it. Or fear of Man? The potent sin by which I I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want to look like I don't know the answer. I'm I'm scared to be humble before you. I, I, I want you to think highly of me. So I wouldn't dare share these things with you. That's the sin of the fear of man. One of the great tactics of sin and the devil. Pride. I just refuse to admit that I I could be wrong, Uh, a a false sense of, like, I want to be accepted by others, so I'll put on mask, and even though the person you're loving is not the real me, somehow I feel like it's better than you knowing the real me and all my junk, but deep down inside you know it's a lie, so then are you really feeling the love that you're after? this is a wonderful thing that in the body of Christ people start to experience you mean I can share with you what I'm really fighting and going through and you're not only going to love me in some ways we're going to be closer than we were before as we fight this together you're not going to cast me out you're going to link arms with me and press into scripture we're going to grow together yeah that's the journey that's the journey It's a joy to do it. It's hard. It's real. But that's the journey. To be the body of Christ. The joy that it is to confess our sins to one another and fight this fight together. Idolatry, fear of man, wanting to be accepted, pride. These things reveal an immaturity in us that is not grounded in a joyful and fulfilled identity in Christ. Christ. When I'm more motivated to hide sin instead of expose it, you likely still feel like you have something to prove or you're being caught up in performing. But, but, but church, listen, if you're thinking I have to perform or I have to prove, you're not understanding the gospel. You can't perform. You can't prove You are desperate for the performance of another. So why crawl back into that mode? It's when you are resting in your gospel identity that I am desperate for Christ and his power and work. I have nothing without him. That I'm able, I'm empowered to be humble and say my identity is not in my performance. My performance was lame. It it deserved an F. I deserved God's wrath. That's my performance. Jesus in work in and through me allows me to be humble and say love me help me don't hold back help me grow in Christ likeness let's do this together let's seek the word together and so I'm going to confess my sin to you I didn't say this first hour and man it's good for you to hear it so we'll post second hour sermon on the podcast Often in counseling, before we jump in, I'll say, your temptation is going to be to want to hold something back, to tell me what you think I want to hear. So you're going to tell me this. The problem is, this is where you're really at. But if you tell me this, this is what I'm going to counsel, this is what we're going to work on, what are we both doing if you're over here? Save my time and save yours. Let's not do this. Let's not talk about the lie, the mask. Let's only do this if we're going to really talk about the real thing. Because that's where you're really at. And from there, we can really grow and be sanctified and seek Christ together. Do you see the difference? So let's put away the games. Let's put away the falsehood. Let's be willing to be honest. Say, yeah, okay, this is where I'm at. This This is my sin. Okay, let's wonderfully not in denial. We're not calling it something else. That's the start. And now we can see that in light of the gospel. We see the power of Christ. To, and here's how we Scripture instructs us to come out. We get to have a gospel approach to maturing and repenting from it. You must start with the truth and the reality of who you are in Christ. Because until you are confidently and securely in His grip... Resting on his righteousness and not your own, only then will you be ready to start living authentically and gospel centered in practicing this confessing your sin to one another. That 1 John 1 passage says, We have fellowship with one another. It's another one another, fellowship with one another. Possessors of fellowship with one another. When do we have fellowship with one another, true community? When you're pretty and you drive a nice car and, and you've got all your stuff together. No. What's it say? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We must walk in the newness of the life of Christ that he gives us. To live out the new and to be done with the old. To, be, to walk in truth. Not in lies, not in the darkness, but in the truth. This is really where I'm at. This is who I am in Christ. And we do that together. Second Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the new birth. It's not just an outside makeover that you go through. We need to be done with wearing masks. We need to walk in the light. We need to drag it into the light and expose it so it can be confessed and repented of and we can mature and move forward in real fellowship. We have to embrace the practice of confessing sin to one another because it keeps us from being hypocrites like the Pharisees who are only worried about the outside, about the mask. There are many people that will poke at parts of the modern church and say it's just full of hypocrites, people who who come off like they've got it all together. And, and I would say, man, a right view of the church is the opposite. It's, it's People who truly get the gospel is a room full of people who admit that they're utterly failed, and desperate for a savior. It's only by his power at work in me that I am growing in sanctification, that your only hope is the gospel. In no way do I want you just to look at me and be like me and do it like me. That's morality. That's, that's religion. Consider Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees. Matthew 23, 25-28 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all in cleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He rebukes them. Because those whom he would redeem and make new don't have a need for a mask. Instead, there is great freedom and victory and authenticity in who we are in Christ. I I love to hear the testimony of the redeemed, of the saved, who have lived through hard stuff. They've had seasons of real sinful selfishness that in Christ work in them. They've overcome or are making great war with. People who were mean drunks, People who got caught up in great infidelity. Who are manipulators of others. Greedy for money. Sexually immoral. And just on and on. But it's wonderful to run into these people who are not afraid to talk about their past sin. Be- because... It's not their identity anymore. Their identity is in Christ. They're not full of shame because of their terrible performance. They're full of joy because of the grace of God that has forgiven them and the power of God at work with them to make war with the thing that once had them enslaved. They're now actively making war with. And for many, it's something of old. It's not even an ongoing thing anymore. They really are a new person at least have a new power to fight it. And they want to fight it. They want to drag it into the light. They don't want to be known for mask and deceit and, and hypocrisy. We, we, we had a, a couple, a very core couple in our church when uh, years ago, in their, in their younger years, and um, had a very long-standing fight with pornography and the different ways it was impacting in the home. And through the gospel and gospel orientation and growth and confessing that sin and getting accountability and the gospel at work in their lives, they were seeing great new victory in it. We're not done with the fight. The fight was still real. And even since then, they've grown tremendously and there's still realities of the flesh in the fight. But they allowed us to videotape their testimony. They wanted it to be shared. Known people, like among you, they were in first hour, on the screen, sitting with me or whoever interviewed them that day sharing about the journey. And there's people in the congregation that said, what is happening right now? Do these people know they're admitting their sin before everyone else? Like, I'm going to always know. That's the, you're that guy. You're that girl. What, what is this? And then they started to see the work of the gospel and the testimony and started to see the freedom of it. And you know what happened? People started going, wait, well, hold on. You mean, you mean I can tell you that I'm really struggling with that too? You mean I don't have to die internally in the hypocrisy of this dark sin that I'm captivated by? I can cry out to brothers and sisters, and, and you can hold me accountable and love me and reorient me to the gospel and walk with me and not throw me out of here. And people started to go, Yeah. And a whole other layer started to come off of that authenticity in our church. It's wonderful. I love when people are not afraid to talk about past sin that they see overcome by Christ and that they're really actively making war with. Why? Because they see it in the grave. It's paid for by Jesus. They see their new selves. They see the Lord at work with them in a new way. And they rejoice. We must not only do this with old sins, but with present sins. With current sins. To confess it. Drag it into the light. sooner than later lop its head off while it's young this is the reason for the call to confess to one another to live authentically without the mask in our united family for the glory of the Lord what are the benefits of confessing sin to one another let's consider that Number one, obedience to God. God's word calls us to do it. Church, we obey our master. We obey our Lord. And we see his commands on us as good and right. So we do it his way, not our way. So the practice of confessing sin is something I should do with one another. It's not like on a menu and today I go, I'm going to do a little of that today and maybe put it back on the wall and then pick it up six months from now. No, it's something I need to put into my routine, into who I am as a Christian. We'll come back to that in a moment. Another benefit of confessing sin to one another is it strengthens our testimony as transparency and honesty are good for our testimony. The gospel is brighter when you're not great at performing When you're able to say, look how fallen and broken and failed I am in this, thereby desperate for the power of God, the grace of Christ to forgive and heal and restore, look at his work. This is Paul's words. In my weakness, he is stronger. That's not him saying, so I go plunge into sin. But it's saying, in the reality of my fight in sin, in my being authentic with that sin, the the testimony of the desperation for the gospel is all the brighter. I'm desperate for him. Let's stop and consider what repentance is in relationship to confession. This is a key part because we we don't just say this is wrong. We don't just say this is sin. We don't just drag it out into light and then stand back and look at it. Sin. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, 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 Timmy, see the sin? That's my sin. Yeah. We don't, we don't just declare it. We do something about it. That's called a repentance. See, confession is admittance. It's agreeing with God that it is sin. But repentance is a new direction. In light of that, because I belong to God and I exist to glorify Him and obey Him, I'm going to make war with that. I'm going to take up a new practice in light of the gospel. That's repentance. When we identify sin in our life, we need to confess it, and then we need to turn from it. Remember when you were guilty of this when you were a kid? Mom, dad brings you out. Hey, did you do this to your sister? Yeah, I did it. Don't do it again. You walk back in the room and then you do it again. Like, is that confession worth anything? Oh, you walked right back into the room and did it again. Like, it's only worth something if you actually stop doing it. If you actually turn from it. We need to confess our sin and then to take up a new path in practice that honors God. That's repentance. Confession is something we say. Repentance is something we do. And I would argue that no... no Confession is authentic without real repentance. Luther speaks to the primacy of repentance in the Christian's life. In in the front of the Protestant Reformation, in the 95 Theses, he nails on Wittenberg's door in Germany to start the Protestant Reformation. One of the leading statements is, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ says, repent, he in he intended that the entire life of the believer should be repentance. Luther's clarifying that the Christian life is repentance. You don't just repent at your salvation and then call it good. It is an ongoing journey of seeing sin, declaring it as sin, and then turning from it. It is an ongoing war. It is an ongoing process of sanctification. Until we are in glory... And done with the fleshly fight against sin, repentance is a reality, an ongoing reality for a true Christian. And the only way the church is to stop treating you like a Christian is when you refuse to repent. Because now that stands against the testimony that you proclaim in Christ. Church, repentance is how we remember and show who we really are in Christ. I were a child of the living God, once an enslaved sinner, but now set free by grace to honor God with my life. It is not an option for a Christian not to repent. The prideful person who refuses to repent, who refuses to humble themselves and be accountable, is the one who is cast out of the church in discipline because their testimony doesn't glorify God. It only seeks to glorify themselves, or it demands to have it their own way. See that confession leads to real repentance. We have to be willing to be humble enough to see it as sin. If I'm not going to call it sin, if I'm going to deny that it's sin, if, then the whole process doesn't begin. Third benefit of confession is accountability. Accountability. That's a wonderful blessing. Psalm James 5.16 is the epitome of Christian accountability because real accountability is not when I just tell you what I want you to hear and then you hold me accountable to that. Those of you who have been in the church a long time, you know what that's like. You have your accountability partner. You meet for coffee once a week. You tell them only what you want them to know. They give you counsel about that. You pray together. You call it good. Are you really being held accountable in that situation? No, because... They don't really know the real you. Real accountability. I'm being held accountable when you see me and you see my life and you know what I'm going through. I have to give you access to that. That's real accountability. One of the great ways we do that is we invite into these deeper places where you get to see the real me and I'm confessing my sin before you and we're walking together in that. Back to the fake you or the real you. This is what happens when brothers and sisters in Christ are really doing life together and we're really leaning in and asking for counsel and asking for, for you to, to really be in my stuff. we confess our sin and we ask for counsel and prayer and help, true humble confession doesn't mean I just admit what I did. It means I want your help and gospel orientation to help me not do it again. To help me see what I don't see. Let me say it this way. Confession is not just enough humility to say I messed up. Some people see it that way. I just have to be able to say I messed up. It's not just enough humility to do that. It's enough humility to say, help me see what I don't see so I don't do it again. I really hope you see that next layer. Because some of you might be tempted to go, okay, so I'm just going to get better at saying out loud, yeah, this is bad. But then you're going to be tempted to not really do that serious business with unless you say, but love me enough to help me see what I don't see related to this so that I'm not doing it again. The moment we pull away from each other we try to do our Christian life alone is the moment we're not accountable and therefore vulnerable to not see what I'm doing in sin. Which is the very purpose of this text to confess your sins to one another. We remain in the body. We remain accountable to one another. Do not believe there is a a true Christian who is sold out for Jesus and his gospel and his word who then denies accountability to truly be an intimate part of the body of Christ and if you're new to life in the body of Christ the church, you're just visiting let me, let me say it this way you're getting to peek into something that's remarkable something that is, is wonderful something whole and good Something you, you, you do not want when you're not saved. Those who are in the world full of pride refuse to go here. I don't need you. I would never risk to show you this stuff. And therefore I just stay stuck in it. You're getting to witness, you're getting to hear about a community whereby we get to love each other in authenticity and put these things into action in a way that glorifies God where we see real transformation and sanctification and growth where these things are truly behind us. It is amazing, the testimony of the people in the room, and our church, ongoingly. It is amazing to see what God does in and through this. It's a community about the glory of God, the good of one another, gospel that transforms the community around us as a result. It's a people who love each other, pray for each other, are authentic with one another, fight for each other. No matter how hard it gets, we keep fighting for each other. When we keep our sin to ourselves, we try to navigate ourselves, we can often get used to making excuses or being guilty of being right in our own eyes or delaying in repentance. But when we invite others in, church, we invite an army to help us fight our sin. The blessed body of Christ. What a sweet thing it is to be part of the family of God. Amen? So let me ask you, just for you, who do you go to when you're fighting sin? when you need to confess your struggle and error, some of you might be thinking, oh, I go to my spouse. Some of you might be thinking, too, my spouse is the last person I go to. So let me say that there's a blessed appointment in the oneness of your marriage to go to your spouse. I think you should know each other, walk together in those ways. It's wonderful. But if that's the only person you're transparent with, I think you're missing the fuller mark of what this is meant to be. You're known in the family of God. You have brothers and sisters that know you and walk with you. Men, there's ways that you need to be known and held accountable as men that your spouse can't do for you. And vice versa, ladies. Let me ask you this Do you have sin that needs to be confessed right now? I'm not going to ask you to stand up and start saying it. But I am going to say you need to go to God in prayer. And you need to confess it. And you need to thank Him that in Christ you are forgiven. And if you've never trusted your life to Christ, then I would encourage you to highly consider what it means to trust your life to Him. To confess your sin and to believe in Him and to submit yourself to Him, to be your Savior and your Lord. Be saved. To give ourselves to the power of the gospel that we would fight to not do it again. But that we wouldn't stay in that and do all that alone. We would invite in others to go to a trusted brother and sister or a group that we're a part of or a pastor that you know and confess it to them. Ask them to hold you accountable to not do it again, to be upright in whatever you're facing. Even if you're facing consequences as a result, let me face them. How seriously are you taking gospel community? Are you in real accountability Some of you might be guilty of like, yeah, I'm in a group. I've been in a group a long time. I have this person in my life. But are you really going to them saying, this is who I really am? Really letting them in to know you and walk with you. Who is someone or a group that's mature in Christ that you can ask to walk with you and keep you pointed to him? This is not an option for Christians. There's too much attack. There's too much temptation. There's too much coming at you. I'm serious about accountability. Who honestly knows your sin, knows your struggles, knows your habits? Who are you inviting in to walk with you, to love you in this way? We pastors do this together. Our wives do too. We have to. And while we pastors get to do this with many of you in many instances, we can't be your only source for this. This is where the the Catholic Church gets this wrong, to demand that people must go to the clergy to confess The command in Scripture is to confess your sins to one another. Do you realize the previous passages said call for the elders to do this? But in this instance, it is each other we do this with. You don't have to wait to meet with us. You, You have other people you're inviting in to do this together. So I'll ask you again, who will you share with how God has convicted you today? Who are you accountable to? Maybe this is a conviction to realize I need to be in a church that really is going to do this with me. Love me in these ways to live out these one another's truly for God, for his glory, for my days. Can I say again, none of us is beyond this. We elders have to practice this regularly. You know why? Because if we don't, we become disqualified. Pray for us that not only do we do this, we do it Often. And really inviting in accountability to be known and to be prayed for, to be admonished and encouraged by each other. In closing, and this sets up next week's sermon, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Church, when real repentance is happening, healing happens. When no confession of sin is made and no repentance follows, then there's no real restoration of the relationship or of the situation. No real healing. Confession of sin needs to move to repentance, which equals healing, equals restoration. Psalm 34, 17, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Will you go to the Lord? Galatians 5 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It is fitting, John Calvin writes, that by the confession of our own wretchedness we show forth the goodness and mercy of our God among ourselves and before the whole world. Pray with me. The band's gonna come up and lead us in a final song. Father, I I, I thank you for this text. I thank you for this. This simple, clear charge that we, your blood-bought family, would practice confession of sin to one another. First with ourselves, by the power of the Holy Spirit, with you, Lord, to be honest and, and open before you and with each other. So we have accountability and army to help us fight, to be accountable to, to be reoriented by the beauty of what it means to be in the body of Christ. The beauty of what it means to have the power of Christ at work. I long for this church to be authentic and true to one another in these ways. That we would not stand for inauthenticity or disunity. That We'd fight for that unity you've bought for us to have. Lord, help us experience the kind of unity Christ died for. So that the testimony of Christ would be oh so bright in these things. That we love each other, encourage each other, admonish each other well as we practice these things. May we glorify you and have our faith remain at work, Lord, until you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray.